Good morning to everybody. <laughs> it's a glorious day. Whenever we get this privilege to come together and to study the Word, and it just doesn't get any better than that. Wow. All right. So, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark's Gospel this morning. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Again, just going through this series, um, life and the ministry of Jesus, trying to do our best to keep it in chronological order. And <clears throat> this is where we find ourselves this morning. Our address will be Mark 10, verse 17. All right, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and knelt down to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy mother and thy mother and father. He answered and he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he, the young man, was sad at his saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around about, and he said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again, and said unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of an eedle, pardon me, a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, well, with men it's impossible, but with God, uh, but not with God, for all, I'm sorry, for with God all things are possible. Um, let's stop there today, guys, and we'll stand up and we'll pray over this text. <clears throat> Father God, again, thank you for this glorious privilege to be together and to sing your praises, Lord, and thank you for your word. Lord, I'm often reminded of what Peter had said that one day, it was a challenging day, but nonetheless, he would say, where can we go? You have the words to eternal life. And we stand here today in your presence with the word of eternal life. Father, I just pray, God, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that the Holy Spirit desires to put into our hearts. And if there's anyone here today and they're just distracted for whatever reason, Lord, you would know. But I pray, Father, that just for this time, they would be able to sit that at your feet, as it were, and just have ears, listening ears, and hearts, receiving hearts, for all that you might challenge us with today. We love you, Lord, and again, we just offer this word to you and pray that you would anoint it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Pardon me. It's a well-familiar story. We probably have all read it once or twice, and if we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time. Um, what we do know about this event, it takes place in the final weeks of Jesus' ministry. It'll only be a few weeks where we'll be studying, well, not a few weeks on our, our time, but for him, he's a few weeks away from dying on the cross. 
uh, for our sins. Now, this conversation that Jesus had with this young man is recorded in all four, um, pardon me, in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when you put all these accounts together, we get a pretty good composite of who, who this man is. Matthew's Gospel tells us that he was rich, and Matthew also tells us that he was young. Luke adds <clears throat> that he was a ruler, and most likely he's a ruler of a synagogue. And when you're a ruler of a synagogue, that means you possess power, you possess authority. And, uh, and this is where we get that idea that he was a, a rich, young ruler. And people will challenge you from time to time. Well, it doesn't say that he was rich, but it does when you composite them all together. He's young, he's rich, and he is a ruler. And uh, when you think of a, a, a young, rich, powerful person... You, you would think that this is the guy that has the total package, package, you know, that he's got it all. Put this guy in eHarmony, man, he's going to get a ton of hits, right? Rich, young, the only thing missing, he's handsome, you know, but the, and most and probably was, I don't know. Um, this, this man possesses everything. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm still dealing with that cold. He possesses everything that the world... Um, would say to you and I, well, this guy must have ultimate happiness, you know, that he's got it all. And you would think that this man also would possess all the answers, right? All the answers of of life's questions. Um, But we're told, and we see it in in this passage, that he does possess all this, but he also, uh, he's also filled with an urgency, almost a desperation, and he doesn't just, you know, stroll up to Jesus. You know, you notice in verse 17, as, as Jesus was going forth, uh, there came one running and kneeling and asking him, good master, what must I do or what shall I do that I might, um, that I may e- inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know if he came, we don't know how far he ran. We don't know if he's huffing and puffing. Uh, most likely he is. If I just run around the church once, I'm dying of a heart attack. But this guy, he comes and there's this great urgency. And there's something inside of him. Something of the utmost importance. And he does need this, this audience with Jesus. And thank God for that. Amen. And again, I'm going to probably go to the very wire time-wise because I keep seeing things that there should be an urgency in all of our hearts when we have questions that we should get to Jesus for them. And sometimes where we kind of uh, um, fail to get our answers um, to our questions is we tend to have the urgency to go and address a man, a counselor. And I'm not saying they're not important in the body of Christ, but where we get the answers for our dilemmas is from Christ. And Christ alone. And that's why I'm always making that appeal to you to have a personal relationship, that you have a personal prayer life, that you have a personal, private, daily devotion. Amen, church? Please do that for me. Um, I'm here for you. Jerry's here. Juan's here. You know, leadership. But man, I love hearing, man, that, man, Jesus came to me right when I needed him. I went to him, I asked him, and I got my answer. And I will say, praise the Lord for that. Anyway, he arrives, and he kneels down, and you got to notice that he does this publicly. Don't forget who he is. He's a ruler, which also means that his partners in crime, as it were, were also religious leaders who most of them were plotting Jesus' life at that time or his death. They wanted him out of the picture, and yet this remarkable, remarkable man comes running to him, and, and, and for that reason, I just admire him for that. And um, he's using his mind for the highest use possible. And that is the most important question anyone on the face of this earth um, would have. And that's when it deals with the eternal. You know, what happens? How can I have? How can I be sure that if I were to die today, that I would be in the presence of the Lord? That is a very important question. Now, maybe you and I have put that to bed. We've, we've put that to rest. 
We have that security, and like we just sang about. The enemy might try to tell us that we don't have it, but man, we have it. Amen, guys? But there's a lot of people out there today, saved and unsaved, if you understand what I mean. Um, saved, there's some people who keep questioning their salvation. And they keep wondering, did I lose it? I want you to go to Jesus for that answer. Appeal to the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible and you will walk away with the same answers that I have gotten over the years. Nothing could separate me from the love of Christ. And there's a whole menu there, right there in, 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 in uh, Romans chapter 8. Nothing means nothing. Amen, guys? I, I Literally, I've shared this story before. But some guy came in and he goes, Pastor, I disagree with you. And I go, well, that's fine. See ya. And he goes, no, 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 i got to ask you. He goes, uh, how about us? Can we separate ourselves? I said, dude, God holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand. You couldn't jump from one knuckle to the other, let alone jump out of his hand. Give it a, it's like a fish trying to say, I'm going to get out of the ocean one day. You're never getting out. Anyway, sorry, that was a side note. But I think it was a great question, and it was a question that he had to resolve, you know. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life, you know. And the, the question is very sincere. And, and you know, um, there was those who, who had asked Jesus questions, but they weren't sincere. In fact, if you really study those questions that Jesus was asked, um, it was almost as an entrapment. They wanted to entrap him. They wanted to see what he would say. It wasn't really for a truthful answer. Uh, again, it, they were dishonest questions. They were questions that they, they were just hoping maybe they could entrap Jesus again for some reason or, or another. Let your questions to the Lord be honest. No matter how... Um, immature it might seem that question might be it, it won't be to jesus if it's sincere for you can bring everything to him and ask him any question he loves us so much that he's going to answer a child's question as well as a theologian's question amen church um but this man again receives the lord's instructions and 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 you got to remember too that he is at a very young age and uh, sometimes when I look at young people today, there's a lot of things that are stacked up against them, you know, and I'm not going to go through everything that I think is, is their hurdles they have to get over. But one of them is they, they really, even at a young age, they think they've got life handled, you know, and they've got, and I'm not saying this to, to deride or to sound slanderous at all towards the young people. So forgive me if that's the way it, it sounds, but wait till you're 65, and then look at life, you know, and then you're going to see life totally different than you would in your teens or young adult life, you know. Um, but, you know, but when it comes to eternal life, I've, I've been noticing a lot. We don't talk about the eternal that much when, when it comes to young people. It's like off the radar uh, until maybe a loved one that's young dies or maybe a child dies, like at the age of 11. Then you start to think about it, and kids start to think about it. And it should be something that a parent should be prepared to try to explain and not let them walk away with their own ideas about life after death. Um, they seem to want to put it off, but not this guy. This guy seems to be very wise. He brings this question, and he brings it to, to Jesus because he knows that Jesus would have the ultimate authority to answer that. Now, why? I don't know. Could he be one of these young rulers that had followed Jesus around, kind of, you know, in stealth mode, not wanting to be noticed? But could he have seen the miracles? Could he have, maybe he was just inquisitive? Maybe there was questions just in his mind that coming up as a kid, he wondered, is there more to life than just this? And again, um, I don't find too many young people even dealing with that. I remember, I must have been a weird kid, because I always did. Not in a, a paranoid way, but I remember, man, I would lay out, in fact, right in these woods behind us here, because I grew up right on Red Bank here, I would lay there, right? I, not in my right mind, but I would lay there, laying on the gra ground, and I'd look up into the, into the sky, and I would always think, there's got to be more to this. 
there's going to be a wall that stops what I'm looking at. It's just, there's, what is this thing that it's just, there's no end to this? And can life be like that? If I die, will I keep going like the universe where there's no end? I was a real troubled kid, you know. But I find today that not too many kids are dealing with that issue. And, uh, but I want you to notice the question that he asks Jesus implies that he is convinced that eternal life is by doing something. What must I do? That there must be enough human effort that's going to get me to the other side. And again, I love using dad, my dad as an example. You know, my dad said if he was good enough that he would, he'd be happy if he was just sweeping the streets in heaven. I get done. There's no dirt in heaven. You're not going to be sweet streets up, you know. He goes, yep, me and St. Pete. You know, he had this thing for St. Pete anyway. I praise the Lord that he got saved. Anyway, essentially, he's just asking Jesus for a list. And, uh, and, and honestly, um, that's a belief that's out there even today. But it's a dangerous belief that human effort can really give you the answer to that question, or you can know by. Um, it, it shows that a person who believes that is, is, is dangerously ignorant on two fronts. Number one, he has a very superficial knowledge and understanding of the seriousness of the sin issue. You know, they have a very um, inadequate or a deficient view of sin. Either way, sin's so heavy, there's just nothing you can do about it. Sin's so light that you really don't have to give it any thought. And, and it's just, you know, and to think if I could just do enough, that'll get me into heaven. No, that's very, uh, it's dangerous, uh, that ignorance when it comes to um, to to the sin issue. Number two, it's a, a very superficial knowledge of our understanding of the holiness of God. Did you think that if I can just do this, that um, I'm going to be able to enter into the holiness of God? Listen, both views are, it's an affront to God, to, to say it plainly. It's, it's, it's a, just to think that I can, I can do or undo the damage that I made based on human efforts is just a ridiculous conception or a thought. It, it, it's, I, I don't have any other words. I hope you don't fall into that. And if you are here thinking that you're doing a good job working your way into heaven, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that there's not one... There's not one thing that we can do that's going to put us even a, well, I shouldn't say that, that's going to say, thumbs up, come on in. Isaiah chapter 64, familiar verse to many of us, we are like an unclean thing. Our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. He's not talking about righteousness as our nature, but righteousnesses, anything that we can do, thinking that it is righteous is like a filthy rag. And we all do fade like a leaf. Our iniquity, like the wind, has just taken us away. There's not anything good in us, guys, that merits God's favor in order to bring us into the eternal. He, Paul would put it this, he would say it like this. He goes, for I know within me, that's my flesh, a commentary on it, um, dwells no good thing. And I looked the word up in the Greek, no means no. There's not one good thing that you can do. David, the psalmist, said, Hey, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born this way. Yeah, I love it when someone is born into the world, and I see that little mother, you know, holding that little baby or dad for the first time. The eye, when your eyes meet eyes, and you're going, Oh, look, at, look, she or he is just beginning to live this life. What a beautiful... No, it's a little sinner who just began the process of dying. Sorry to, 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 sorry for blowing the moment, but um, that's the truth. And then they hit that demonic year of two years old. And then all of a sudden, you've never taught them once how to lie, but yet somehow they've learned how to fib. Did you eat those cookies? No, I haven't. And there's crumbs all them. I don't even know. It was my sister. 
Is that not true? And then, the horrific years, the teen years, when you're thinking and you're looking at them, has Lucifer entered you? My poor mother. Oh, my goodness. I know she wasn't literally a saint, but she, in my eyes, she was. The things that we would put her through as teens. A lot of you guys are shaking. A lot of little demons in here, I can see. But David would say, too, when it came to the sinful nature, he would say in the Psalms, and when it came to his sin, he would say, and in sin did I sin against you and you alone. Now, I know there's that possibility of us sinning against each other. For that we go, we ask for forgiveness, and our, a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord will forgive if, if genuinely asked. But you know, when it comes to the sin issue and us going into heaven, when we sin, when we, when we miss the mark, when we fall short, it's against God. And God alone is what he's told us. And again, we've sing, we've, we sing these songs, 1 John 2, 2, where it talks about that he is our pro, uh, propitiation, which means he's our mercy. He is the one who paid the price for us. The only way that we can get into heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus and our faith in that, in the cross of Christ. He's the one who made the satisfying payment for the sin issue. And again, I think it's an insult to his holiness to think that by human effort, uh, I can be accepted into the, the heavenly scene, as it, as it were. Now, to think that way just shows that we have a very deficient view of sin and of the holiness of God. When Jesus said that now, through, through Christ... Um, he has opened a more perfect sanctuary whereby we can call him Abba Father. That's his prerogative to say that. It's not our prerogative to assume it. Whenever he says we can pray, it's his prerogative to say there's enough grace for you to, to address me. It's, it's not a right. It's not a rite of passage. God is just, by, because he loves us, he has opened all these grand things to us to pray to read his bible to to come into his presence we have no rights that's why we make him lord exousia we've relinquished all our rights we don't we, we don't we don't receive his merits because of human effort you know sometimes when i look at his answers that answer could not have been easy to accept but there's one thing about when, when you ask Jesus an honest answer or an honest question, you're going to get an honest answer. We're so worried today about political correctness that sometimes we're afraid to give honest answers today. But not with Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about the recent polls. <laughs> he doesn't care about who liked him or who didn't like him that day. When you come to Jesus, he will give you a straight answer. Well, the challenge is, is for, for us is will we receive those answers or will we take offense? Well, I don't like that, so I'm going to read a different paraphrase of the Bible. Well, I don't like that, so I'm going to go listen to another minister who's a little bit more, you know, he's a little bit more positive than her, you know. And you keep doing that until finally you get that answer you long for, but it's not an answer that God would give you. It's a tough thing, that what this kid had to hear. Um, in verse 17, it tells us that when he went his way, they, there came a, a good master. Uh, I'm sorry, Camden kneels. He calls him good master. What shall I do to inherit life? And Jesus um, answered him, well, why are you calling me good? That's kind of an odd a a question there, or answer, isn't it? Well, it wasn't a question, by the way. It was just, he's answering something. He's going, why are you calling me good? And uh, in their culture, it's amazing that in their culture, the only, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even call a rabbi good. Um, um, they wouldn't call a rabbi good. That term good was only reserved for God and God alone. Um, you might call someone good if you were comparing him to another person. You know, hey, was uh, Mark good? 
compared to you, Harry? Yeah. You know, something like that. But you would never use the word good. Good could only be described to God um, because he was good without qualification, if that makes sense. He was just good. His nature is good. And in their mind and in their culture, now this is important that you realize this, this young rich ruler understood this. So when he came to God, when he came to Jesus and he said he was good, what he's saying, I'm asking a question and I know the answer that I will get will be divine. He's not just coming to Jesus as a mere man. Either Jesus is good or he's not good. Either he's good and he's God or he's not good and he's man. But this man understood that he, the only one who could answer this question on eternal life, heaven, would be Jesus and Jesus alone. He is a young, powerful, religious leader, like a Nicodemus, who didn't know if he was going to heaven or not. Now let me ask you a question, dear saint. Can you imagine that, being religious and not knowing? And not knowing. I'm hoping... I'm hoping I'm a good enough Catholic. I hope I'm a good enough Nazarene. I hope I'm a good enough Baptist. I hope I'm a good enough Calvary Chapelite. That is a sad commentary on life. You can know without any doubt. And I've said this, and it's kind of brought me grief before, but I'll say it again. I have had a, a, a doubts about a lot of different things. And a lot of you guys could say amen, right? But I have never, after the Lord showed me the power of the blood of the cross, from that point on, I have never doubted my salvation. Never doubted how secure I was in him. That no one could rob me like we sung about. No one could steal it from me. But sometimes I would doubt a call. Sometimes I would doubt if I heard him or not. Sometimes I doubt if I could keep going on. Sometimes I would doubt if I was a good enough pastor or the pastor he called me to be. I'm riddled with doubt, but not about the cross. And I pray you're there with me too. Don't let the enemy ever rob you that nothing can take you from the Father's hand. So this is just her. Please, write it in your notes. This is just her. If you doubt that you're saved, I would venture to say you're not. And you need to deal with that question. Because when you know the cross and the power of his blood and him coming into your life and resurrecting into in life, into resurrected life, you don't doubt it. You don't doubt it. Whether you feel like it or not, I want to hear a fat amen. Thank you. So he says, well, you know the commandments. And he goes, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your mom and your dad. Kids, honor your mother and dad. <laughs> Kids, honor your mother and dad. All right. All these commands is from the second tablets of the law. You remember Moses, God gave Moses the commands of God there in the book of Exodus, you know, and he had written them on two tablets of stone. Well, the first tablet um, dealt with the commands that dealt with my relationship with God, almost vertically. He dealt with that. The second tablet dealt with my relationship with my fellow man. Well, he's quoting the second tablets here. How I treat you guys. How I treat my wife. He would say, I, I don't want you to have extra marital affairs in your relationship. 
You know, I don't want you to have sexual immorality in your life, you know, because it, it offends, it hurts, it destroys. I don't want you to kill anyone. That's a good law to keep, you know. I don't want you to steal from someone. I don't want you to ever bear false witness. Don't lie about anyone. Don't defraud anyone. Don't take anything from anyone. Honor your mother and father. So the second tablet dealt with my relationship with my fellow man. And I just want to say as a side note, if I don't have the vertical with with God, I will never have the horizontal with my fellow man. I will never be able to love you like a brother and sister in Christ if I'm not loving God the way I should. Right? Amen, guys? Anyway. So I love the man's response. Look what he said in verse 20. He answered, he said, Master, all these things I have observed from my, from my youth. And now what he's saying here is, I have observed these things, I have kept these things since my bar mitzvah. That's what he's saying. He's not saying I've done all these things since I was knee-high to whatever. He's just saying, no, from the very time I was bar mitzvah, when I went through that ceremony, age 12 I think it is, I had kept these. And I believe this guy. I really believe that this rich young ruler... Um, had, it, had a grip on that. You talk about a moral man, you've got it right here. That's what I mean. This guy's off the chart. He's doing these things. And now the, the world would assume that by doing this thing, it would be a rite of passage right into heaven. The way I'm treating everyone across the board. But, you know, but Jesus does something very fascinating in verse 21 here. If you look at it, Jesus beholding him. And let me do a little exegesis for you here. Meaning, let me tear some of the verse apart for you. Where it says beholding, I want you to kind of, it literally means to look at, look at with the mind and to consider. He's, 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 he's looking at this young guy and he's looking into his heart. And where it says that he loved him, that's that beautiful word agape there. It's agape yo because it's a Greek in, in the Greek. But it means he loved this young guy. So I'm assuming that whatever this guy was saying about himself, Jesus knew that this was the case. Here is a guy doing his best to keep the law of God. Here is a guy that really wants to have eternal life. He look at, he's looking at this guy with so much God-given love in his heart. We will see later on that this is going to destroy Jesus' day in a minute. But he's looking at him with this agape love. He says, but there's this one thing that you lack. And that word lack literally means you fail to become a partaker with. You know, this idea about heaven and you want to go there. You have failed to partake in this. This one little thing you've got between you and heaven. It's just amazing that Jesus sees that. And there are times, even in my own life, where I might ask for something. I keep seeking, keep asking, I keep knocking. And through his Holy Spirit, he goes, there's just one thing that's keeping you from partaking of this. And then he reveals it. And then I'm able to lay it at the cross. And he's faithful and just to forgive. But that's this verse. He says, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasures in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. The last part of that verse, what he's revealing to him is, you want eternal life, you're going to have to pick up your cross. Which means, and I could go into a study on that. But it just means, listen folks, it might not be that easy. To pick up an instrument, which meant capital punishment, might be something hard to embrace at this time. But if you just know that it's hard, and you pick up the cross, and you begin to follow me, that's the starting point of becoming one of his disciples. You know, the Bible teaches us, and I think this is important to clarify, but salvation is when a person puts his trust in the finished work of the cross. He trusts him. He, he believes with all his heart. My, that happened for me in 1973. Whoso, that whosoever believes, thou shalt be saved. 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes shall not, what? Perish, but have what this kid is asking for, eternal life. Salvation does begin with our faith in Christ. So if, if it begins by believing, then ultimately what happens almost at the same time, there is a life of obedience and then following Christ. The fascinating thing about this exchange between um, Jesus and him, there, he, what Jesus is saying, there's just one thing standing between you and eternal life, between you and following me. There's something that's great in his life, not great in as in good, that Jesus recognizes. And unless you address this, Jesus is telling him, then he would be unable to really answer <clears throat> that question. Again, one thing you lack, you fail to become a partaker. He tells them to give it all away, and you will find treasures. Circle that word treasures, because certainly it doesn't mean coinage. It doesn't mean silver. It doesn't mean gold. It's not a treasure chest. Literally, that word, it's used as a metaphor. It's used the place in which good and precious things are collected and laid up. So that very thing, that treasure you want, that treasure, you know, that there's just this one thing that you lack, what you is valuable to you, that is the knowledge if you're going to heaven, there's just something keeping you from that. See, what Jesus recognizes here. Is this thing that is in this man's life is his master, his master passion. It's something that is mastering him. It's a passion. It's something that's overtaken him. And he would need to overcome that in order for him to possess this treasure that he wants. Jesus would have to, Jesus would need to become the master passion for his life. <clears throat> Listen, just this. <laughs> you don't have to be a rich person to have master passion, the riches. You can be poor and have the same. <laughs> well, I know a lot of poor people, which I wish I had his problem. <laughs> you know, you, you might not want that either. But Jesus recognizes that it was the love for his stuff, it was the love for his riches. It had such a grip on him. I want you to notice something, and it's important in verse 22, where it tells us that he was sad. That word sad, again, it's, I love going in and studying the Greek. Not that I can read Greek. Somebody said once, oh, Harry knows Greek. I don't know Greek. I, it's all Greek to me. But, um, but I, 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 I look into different word pictures, like A.T. Robertson, Weiss, and all that. But this word is used as a metaphor, which means where it said that he was sad, uh, reference to the rich young ruler, literally means uh, of a sky that's covered with clouds. So something came over him. As soon as Jesus said this, hey, buddy, you want eternal life? Yes, give me the answer. That's where my treasure is. That's what I, I think is valuable to me. Okay, all right, but there's something you lack here. Oh, well, what is that? Well, let's start with this. All this stuff that's so important to you, I want you to give it away. I want you to go sell it. I want you to give it all away, and I want you to come follow me. And all of a sudden, we heard that this cloud came over him, and Jesus saw that. Jesus saw that. And where it said, and he went away grieved, it means to affect with sadness uh, or cause grief or to be thrown into sorrow. So it's not a guy that's been told this and he goes, oh, gosh, Dawn, you know, like, you know, this is something comes over him and you could just tell that whatever Jesus said to him threw him into grief, grief. Jesus is going to use a different word later on when he's talking about his astonishment. But for this guy, right away he knew that he was not going to be able to do this. And it's just, it's revealing something that's very, very important. And here's the application because most of us here today, we know the Lord. And most of us today would be willing to do this very thing. Now, 
riches, being wealthy, does not send anyone to hell. I hope you know that, you know. But the love of it can keep a person from it, where that's all you want. See, that's why the Bible tells us that the, mon- the love of money is the root of all evil. When you love it more than you love God. And again, here, here, here's a warn, uh, sort of like warning signs for me. Whenever I go to the Lord and I have a question for him, and he answers me with a straightforward answer, and I might not like it, if I start to manipulate that answer... I start to go to different paraphrases or I'll go to listen to a different teacher. I go to my third counselor looking for... When I do that, then I realize whatever I'm trying to hang on to, I love it more than I love God. And and remember, love grows. It's a fruit. I'm more in love with Jesus, be honest with you, than I was in 1973. So much more in love with Him. It grows. It's a fruit. But he loved his money more than he loved God. And listen, talk about a direct violation to the commands in which he thought that he kept so, so well. What about I'll have no other gods before me? See, he had this down, but he didn't have this right. You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Jesus would even end and even your strength. And you would go, well, yeah, I want to do that. We can grow in that. You're not going to grow in that if you love something more than you love God. I'm glad he called me into the ministry when I was broke. Now, me and we, our apartment, we, first apartment, we were paying um, $125 a month for our first apartment. We had a hard time paying that rent. So when the Lord called me, it was like, well, I don't have anything really to lose. So let's, let's step out and let's do it, man. You know, and Erm was down with that. You know, I remember she was washing Jen in the sink, you know. Jen was about a year and a half old, my youngest. And I walked in. I was, I was, he called me while I was working on this 68 duster. And he says, hey, I want you to go into the ministry. Well, I thought right away, well, that means going off to seminary or something. So I went home. I go, hey, babe, the Lord told me to go to Bible school. You guys know Erm, you know. And she, well, I'll start packing. And six months later, we were sitting at Valley Forge Christian College, man, with our suitcases in hand with a a baby that was a year and a half old. We entered into the ministry together. I'm glad I was broke. I really didn't have anything challenging me not to go. But I wonder sometimes how many people today are challenged because they think, well, there's things that are more important family's more important um, my job's more important my things that I got to maintain is more important and I'm not saying these aren't legitimate things in our lives but let me ask you have you ever been called to do something and you can't because of the things that should be a challenge to all of us can we let it go well this guy this guy he 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 just he just, it blows, it just blows his, his mind. The one thing about salvation and coming to the Lord, the one thing that we can't ignore is the word repentance. There's always got to be repentance. If there's no repentance, then I don't really know if their salvation has taken place. Because whenever a man is, is, is saved, he is challenged about going in a different direction. Can you imagine if God said, okay, Har, I want you to trust in the cross, but go ahead, keep huffing glue, keep fighting everybody that, that gets in your way, keep stealing from your neighbors, keep getting high, keep dishonoring your mind, but that's perfectly fine with me, but just get saved. Do you see how ridiculous that thing is. And yet, we teach that somehow. What do you mean we teach it? Because we don't add into the gospel message the need of repentance. We'd say, just come as you are. But I want to say, but don't leave the way you were. Come as you are. 
Let Jesus come into your life. Let him challenge you. Leave the drugs here. Leave the idolatry here. Leave the fornication here. Leave all your, your sin here. And go and leave and go in another direction. That word is metanoia. It's a Greek word for repentance. No one who comes to the cross who truly is saved goes on the same path the way they came in. It's an entirely different path. Amen, church? You're different. Now, I'm not telling you that when I got saved that night... That I was St. Harry. That every, I walked around with a halo and a two feet off the ground and everybody knew I was a follower. But I know I didn't want to get high anymore. And I knew, and it took a little bit of time, I knew I had to start respecting my dad and pray for him. My life was changed. And I was put on a different path. Some of my buddies, he'd even come here. You can ask them. They saw that day I got saved and I walked into there where we hung out. And there was a difference in my life. I would say to a group, I'm not drinking with you anymore. I hung out with them, but I won't drink. Guy Wilson, I won't smoke anymore or huff any more glue with you. I won't drink anymore. There's something different with me. That's somebody who's truly been born again. He says, take up your cross. It might not be easy to do it, folks. It might not be for some people. And that's why he would say, you know, when they, and I got it quick, quick, pretty soon here. You know, where he said, take up your cross and follow me. Just, you know, again, the disciples are going to say to him a little later on, and I'm jumping ahead only because of my time here. When he said, well, that's, who can be saved then if that's the case? And Jesus would say, well, you're right. With man, it's impossible. If I had to walk away from that time in my bedroom in September of 1973 thinking, well, I got to change my life, it would have been disastrous. But no, with the Holy Spirit living in your life and illuminating things you've never seen before. Do you remember the first time the Bible was open and it it became alive and it jumped out at you? And you're going, look at this passage. I I never seen this before. God loves me. He loved the world and he, he died in you and it just becomes alive. See, without the Holy Spirit in your life, you know, you're not going to see that path. You're not going to see the word become alive. Take up your cross. And the guy went away. He was sad. He was grieved because he had all this stuff. He wanted his disciples to live this vital, to learn this vital lesson. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked around and about them and said to his disciples, Man, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. You can hear Jesus say this with a sigh. Again, remember what I just explained to you, the way this guy, all of a sudden he was thrown into something. There was heaviness, sorrow. He's carried away off in grief. And Jesus sees him walking away. And it tells us here that, that it just, it just, Jesus was sad. And the disciples were looking. And in verse 24, that this, that the, uh, where he said, Jesus looked about and he says, how hard it is for the rich, rich man to get into heaven. The disciples were astonished in verse 24 at his words. And Jesus answered again and said unto them, look, children, how hard it is for them that trust in their riches. He's explaining what he had just said to enter into the kingdom of God. You know why? He had to be very, very clear with them because like today, they had a prosperity message. You know, a prosperity message basically is if you're right with God, God will be right with you and give you everything you want. If you have all the riches and, and stuff of the world, it just shows that God has favor towards you. To trust in those things as a sign and I'm not going to mention names as I did a couple of weeks ago. But there are those teachers out there that if, you, if God loves you and God, he'll give you what you ask. And he, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he does take a loved one home. And sometimes he'll take some earthly possession from you because he just has a bigger and a grander plan for your life. For the life of me. I had 2000. 14, when that, that, that storm came through East Greenwich, it took my whole house. We lost everything in about a minute and 20 seconds. Now, at first, it was, I was distraught, I'll, I'll confess. 
It affected me mentally. It affected me emotionally. I ended up in a hospital. It almost killed me. But God said, I got a greater plan for you. And to see where, what Irma and I are doing today and what we can do because we don't have that possession, it's, a, it's unbelievable. From hindsight, I'd say, God, do it again. <laughs> you huff and pluff, puff and blow that baby down. God is good because he is good. And everything he does to his children is good. And, um, and it might be difficult sometimes picking up that cross, following him. He says, look, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. What are you saying? He's not saying it's impossible. He's not saying it's impossible. He says it's hard. And I really believe, and again, it's just hard. Those who do possess wealth, right, and able to live a spirit life, that's got to be a gift. Give me money. I'll either blow it somewhere in the ministry might buy a brand new Indian motorcycle. I'm just saying, I'm sharing my weaknesses with you. He knows what I can handle and what I can't. But I've talked to a lot of wealthy pe- people, a lot of wealthy people. And the, the number one prayer thing that they, they ask me, just pray that God gives me wisdom. Pray God gives me wisdom. You know, and that's a tough thing to do. But for those that are trusting in their riches as if it's a sign of God's favor towards them and they'll do whatever they have to in order to keep that, it's hard for them. Gail Irwin said you've got to grind that camel up into some fine powder to get it through an eye of a needle. You know, I, I, I once heard a guy try to describe that eye of a needle to be a small little doorway that was on the walls of Jerusalem where they would have to take all their baggage off and, and squeeze their camel through and then drag that... <laughs> That's bad, bad interpretation. The eye of a needle literally is just a tiny needle where throwing, sewing thread goes through. It's no camel trying to, again, what must I do? Got to unload my camel and push it through that little opening. No, you can't, you can't get into heaven by doing, by doing. You know, guys, I'm glad Jesus said towards the end there in verse 27, man, With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I want to say the same thing to us today. Whatever challenges you might have, you might really be challenged right now about certain things. You just don't want to let go. But you know, you should let go. With man, it's impossible. But with God, everything's impossible. I have learned throughout the years the best thing for a believer is to have a a loose grip on things and just hold on to your Savior. Let's stand together. If that's a challenge for you today, praise the Lord. Rich is going to lead us out in a song and when he's done, we're going to collectively pray together. And ask God that his word would be planted in our hearts. We have an internal library. Did you know that right there? And every time we go through a passage, every time we read through a book of the Bible, another book is put on the shelves of our libraries. And we can always go and pull that index card and find out what skew it's on and pull it out and go, Lord, praise the Lord for his word. Amen. And we need guitar up here. He was right on key. Look at that.